You guys can have a seat. Welcome to Elevation Community Church. If this is your first time here, uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. We're really honored that you would be here this morning. And if you're just joining us, you're jumping in on a sermon series that we just spent the last two weeks on, and we've got a couple more weeks left. It's you asked for it. And basically, these are questions that you asked. We had a number that you guys could write into, and you asked questions that you wanted us to just go over, questions that you had about the Bible, about uh, religion, about Jesus, about pain and suffering. And so we're going through those. And we joke about that uh, this was going to be maybe a relaxing summer series for us. We weren't going to have a lot to do or it was going to be more of an easy thing. And it's turned out to be uh, a lot of research, a lot of prep, a lot of things that we've had to do on our end. And But that's been great. And it's been great and exciting for us because, one, we enjoy the opportunity to minister to you all individually. Uh, but also, we, uh, these questions are questions that we've wrestled with as well. And so it's really good for us to dive in and to just uh, to look through the Scriptures, to look to the Holy Spirit when we have these questions, whether they're doubt or whatever they may be. So the last two weeks, we went through, can the Bible be trusted? The first week, we talked about, uh, what's the foundation of our faith? Uh, we said that uh, the foundation of our faith is actually an event, and an event that took place, that the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And that event is what we build our faith on, not necessarily the infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. Even though we believe that, our faith isn't founded in that. And the second week, we looked at just the ugly, like we would say the good, bad, and the ugly, but more of the bad and ugly uh, passages in the Old Testament. And we got to look at through the lens of Jesus, of the redemptive plan that God had and also through the character of God. So if you missed any of those, check out our website, check out our YouTube channel. You'll be able to watch those services or listen to them. So this morning, we don't have a panel. We will have a panel later. This morning, I'm, I'm riding solo, and I'm going to go with the, the problem of evil, as, as people will call it. But basically, that boils down to why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why does a God who claims to be all-loving and full of justice allow evil to take place in our world? So this should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. No, I, 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 I am. Oh, I, I asked this for myself, so uh, I, yeah, I'm just a sucker for pain. But the argument is formed around the concept that if God is all-powerful, then he could. He has the ability to stop evil. And if God is all-loving, then he would. He would choose to stop evil. But since evil exists, then God must either not be all-powerful or must not be all-loving and therefore doesn't exist. Now, we may not go to that extreme of questioning the existence of God this morning. But for many of us and for a, a pressing uh, just problem in our culture and, and even in our church, <clears throat> We are curious about the justice of God. We look at all of these things and we wonder, all right, God, I believe you exist, but I just don't know. I don't know if you're just. I don't know if you're loving. I don't know if I can trust you when it comes to that. And see, we begin to reject God, maybe not necessarily because he doesn't exist, but because we just don't trust the way he runs the universe. This is a powerful and highly emotional argument. It's one of the greatest reasons why many people have rejected and abandoned their faith. And, and honestly, maybe that's your story here today. Maybe something terrible has happened to you, and you've just began to doubt if God really cares, if he loves, or if his justice is truly just. And maybe you're coming back. Maybe you abandoned it as a child, and, or as a teenager, or as a college student or adult, and now you're back. But you're still wrestling with this. You're still wondering uh, how does this actually work? Regardless of your situation, we are so happy that you're here. And I won't be able to answer every question when it comes to suffering, especially in your personal situation. So the fun thing that we're going to do today is that we're actually going to have a question and answer where Phil's going to walk around with a microphone. And if you have a question about suffering, about the problem of evil, or anything that pertains to that, we want you to ask that. And we're going to have a panel up here that 
you can hurl your hurl your questions at and we'll be gentle. But no, no, we really want you to ask that. That's why we wanted to do this question and answer. Um, but but I want us to this morning I want us to start the conversation. I want us to start the conversation first about the why problem. Why suffering? Why is all this going on? And I want us to specifically look at instances where people actually ask Jesus that question. They ask Jesus, why is this happening? And observe and see what's going on and look at Jesus' response. The second thing I want us to look at this morning is God's character in suffering. How do we see, what what are his character traits when it comes to, what examples do we have in Scripture when it comes to seeing how God interacts with people that are suffering? And the last thing I want us to look at is that in light of all of this, what should our response then be? What should our response be to a world that is suffering, a world that's in pain? So before we get going, I just want to pray over this time. God, this is a big, big subject. And Lord, I just pray that I would be sensitive. Holy Spirit, that you would give me tenderness in my words to know that this is painful for many, many people. So Lord, I just pray that today is a day that we see you for your character. God, that we see that uh, our universe is uh, complex. These questions are hard. And God, that you walk with us as we wrestle and struggle with it. So Lord, please comfort us. Please show us your character and your love for us. And I pray that this morning, God, we will leave, uh, understand that we can trust you, that you are a good God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. How suffering is just a part of our human experience. It's a part of our world. It wasn't like that from the beginning, though. When Adam and Eve rejected God, they broke that relationship with God. And when that broke, that suffering entered the world. Pain and death entered the world through that broken relationship. And it's been passed down ever since. And so that could, we could look back and say, maybe that's the cause. But I want just to look at some of the why questions because maybe that doesn't really help us right now. What, that doesn't help me personally. Why is all of this happening? Why am I going through this pain? And the first one that I want to look at in scriptures, uh, it actually is more around the blame game, which is a cause and effect type of justice. See, in the Old and New Testament, the, they were wrestling with this why question, and the prevailing the- theology at that time was that suffering was a rigid form of cause and effect, meaning when you do good, you get rewarded, you get blessing. When you do evil, you get punished. And that is actually true. You see that in Proverbs, and you see that in Galatians 6, when we hear about the concept of reaping and sowing. You plant seeds that are good seeds, you'll get a good harvest. You plant bad seeds, you get a bad harvest. Even though that is true, that is not universal. Meaning that God doesn't run his universe solely based on that rigid principle. We see that in Job. See, Job, for 34 chapters, he wrestled with his friends about this situation. And we know from the story of Job that Job was actually a righteous man. And so it wasn't that he, he did good, he did bad, and then he was punished. That's not the way it worked. And so Job finally confronts God about this cause and effect kind of justice, the way he runs the universe. And God doesn't actually answer the why question for Job. Instead, he just reveals to Job that his universe is more complex than the box that you have placed him in. And so just like Job, we can agree with that, that the world that we face right now doesn't mesh with that rigid form of cause and effect type of justice. And inevitably, unless we expand our perspective on justice and on God, we'll reject him because of that. Where we see this in the New Testament is we see this in John chapter 9. So Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and they see a man that's been, uh, been blind from birth. And so the disciples ask him, they say, Rabbi, uh, why was this man born blind? The why question. Why is this happening? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? And so they're asking, who's the cause? Was it, his, was it something that he did, and that's why he's blind? Was it something that somebody did to him, and that's why he's blind? 
And Jesus rejects both of those and says, no, it's not because of his sin or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God can be seen in him. You see, when we ask that why question, really we're looking for someone or something to blame. And since suffering is so integrated into our world, we hope that if we find something or someone to blame, that that will alleviate the pain and suffering. But to be honest, it doesn't. We still have to deal with the present pain. So Jesus, instead of even just answering the why question, he bypasses it altogether and goes straight to the solution. That suffering creates opportunities. Suffering creates opportunities for God to bring healing that we've needed since the Garden of Eden. To bring restoration, to bring heaven and glory here on earth. And maybe that's what's going on in your situation. When we're going through these why questions, I want to know that this is not a, this is not a universal answer to your personal suffering. And so that's something that you're going to be working through in your time. And we want to walk with you in that. But maybe, just maybe... God is using this as an opportunity to create that space for his glory to come down in your life, in your family, or in your work. The second place that we see the why question in the New Testament has to do around the concept of divine punishment. See, also, when it comes to God, we view suffering, especially severe suffering, as a form of just punishment meaning that the tragedy is a product of our wickedness as a person. Think back to Job. Job's friends began to make up things that he thought they, they, that Job had did because his wicked, what he was experiencing was so terrible, his tragedy was so bad, that they began to just start making up all of these sins that he never actually committed. Because for them, it was a product of punishment. And honestly, we are guilty of this sometimes. When we see something bad happen to somebody, don't we begin to sometimes assume, especially if we don't know the story, when we begin to think, yeah, I, you know, I saw the way he acted like there, and I bet that's why they're going through that. You know, I saw the way she interacted there, and yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I bet that's what they did. And so we begin to assume that their wicked, their punishment, their tragedy is a product of their wickedness. And Jesus addresses this perspective in Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered... That's okay. There we go. Thank you, Tiffany. You're doing great. Uh, About had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. So Jesus addresses the crowd based on this tragedy. He says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people in Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. So he rejects that. Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And then Jesus gives us another example. What about the 18 people who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. Comforting words from Jesus, right? But I think what Jesus is trying to say here is that he's just showing you that their suffering is not a product of their extreme wickedness. It's not like God is up in heaven and you know, he sees like he's got a tower quota. You know, it's, it's got to be 18 people in that tower. We've only got 17 wicked people. When's the 18th person going to come? And then he comes up and then God waits and knocks over the tower and yells Jenga. I mean, is that what God's doing? Sorry, that was, that's bad. But that's, that's not what God's doing. He's not waiting for the wicked to all get together so he can bring some divine punishment on them. Instead, Jesus is pointing out that we all, We all have this hovering over us. Death is going to come to us all in the future. And honestly, whether it's for me right now or if it's when I'm 80, it's honestly up to the mercy and grace of God. Isn't it true that we're most aware of the things that are common to us? Think about that. Whether or not you feel like it's hot or cold in here, if the temperature feels just right in in here, Do you walk into a room and be like, oh, the temperature is perfect in here? I don't say that. 
Or maybe this morning you did this, but maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe did you wake up this morning and just be like, oh, it feels so good to be an American. It's common. These are common to us, but we, we tend to be unaware of that. So if death is something that we are all going to face, isn't every breath an act of mercy? Have we become so callous and common to God's mercy that instead we just look at all of the bad things that happen to people and we focus just on the the wickedness of the people or the judgment of God and we don't go, mercy. That's mercy. Because I could very well just die here on the stage, but that's mercy. Another way I've thought about this is that when I drive to work here from home, I go up 131, and then I turn on 270, uh, or no, sorry, 727. And that's a really hilly road. It's kind of fun, but it's, uh, you know, you get a little roller coaster ride feeling when you go over it. Uh, but you can't always see cars that are coming. And there was one time that I was driving that when I was going over the, when I was going up, another person was coming over, and they were like three feet over into my lane. And we just had enough time to swerve and miss each other. And I thought to myself, If I'm going a fraction of a mile per hour faster, I'm having a terrible head-on collision with somebody. And so we have those close calls. You can even replay in your mind so many close calls where we feel like this could have gone so much worse than it actually is. And that's God's mercy and grace. But maybe it's been so common to us that we've just become unaware of it. So we don't get the answer to the why questions, which I think frustrates us. But what we can glean from scriptures is we can glean God's character. The first thing that we see about God's character is that he is present in our suffering. That God is physically, emotionally, and spiritually present in our pain. He doesn't disengage. He walks with us. See, 1 Peter 1 talks about fiery trials that we face. And, and I believe that Peter is actually drawing imagery from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And many of you know this story, but they were thrown into a fiery furnace. And they weren't burned up. Instead, they were walking around, but there was a fourth with them. There was someone else with them that was walking with them in their furnace, in their pain. What about Jesus in John 15 when Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead? He comes into town and he sees everybody just weeping over Lazarus. And even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in like 10 minutes, what does Jesus do? He weeps. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just come in and be like, guys, no, 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 stop crying. It's going to be okay. Like, literally, it's going to be okay. I got it covered. I'm about to raise him from the dead. Don't cry. No, he's just present with them. And so he weeps with them. And maybe, maybe he just did that because he felt like it was better just to be with them in their pain than correct them. Maybe he knew that raising Lazarus from the dead wasn't necessarily in their suffering, that Lazarus was going to die again, and that he was just broken over the situation that they were in. Regardless of that reason, Jesus was there, and he was present in their pain. The second thing we see about the character of God is that he is love in our suffering. It says that God uh, demonstrated his love to us completely on the cross. Just like the story of Job and just like the blind man and just like the Tower of Siloam, the cross doesn't tell us why. It doesn't tell us why suffering exists, but it does tell us one reason why it can't be. The cross tells us that it can't be because God doesn't love us and he doesn't care. The cross shows the links that God would go to love us. And there's no greater way. There's no greater way for him to show that love for us than by dying for us, than taking our place. Romans eight thirty one through 32 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Is God, if God is for us, then who could ever be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And then go down to verse 35. 
it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I love the way this is worded in the New Living Translation. It says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have any trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute in danger or are threatened with death? Basically saying, does it mean that he no longer loves us when we're suffering? And the answer in verse 37 is no. No, absolutely not. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated. God had to show, the way he showed his love for us was he demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's love in our suffering. And the last thing that we see is also he's hope in our suffering. You know, sometimes when I look into the scriptures and I see all the miracles and when I look into other people's lives, I get a little disappointed. It's almost like looking at a news feed on Facebook, right, and seeing all the awesome things that everybody's doing and you're sitting at home with like a crying kid or at work and the boss is just yelling at you and somebody's like, I'm in Bahama, I'm having a great time, check out what I'm drinking. And you're like, ah. And we can look at those things, we can look at how God is working in people's lives and we can get frustrated and we can despair. However, 1 Peter 1.3 tells us that we have a living hope. We have a hope that wells up inside of us. It's a hope that isn't fragile, but guaranteed. In one of Paul's letters to the believers, or to Paul's letter to the believers in Rome, he talks about how suffering builds up this hope. And so we're in Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Why? Because he has given us the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance, the living hope that we have to fill our hearts with his love. And so what's the hope that we have? What's the hope that... Paul is even speaking about here, and we see it really clearly in Revelations 21.4. After it all is done, Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are forever gone. So instead of giving us the why, he gives us himself as a solution He gives us the cross so we can know the links of his love. He gives us the promised future and a hope that all of our suffering will be undone. He gives us the Holy Spirit to be with us in our present situation, in our pain and walk with us. When we look back, we see his love. When we look forward, we see his hope. And when we are in our present situation, we have a best friend and a companion. So knowing that God has done all of this, what in turn should we do for others when it comes to our pain and suffering? I have three points here. First, I think we just need to be like Jesus and we need to be present. Often, when it comes to suffering, it's better to just be present than it is to be right. There's a time for <clears throat> There was a time for Jesus to bring truth to Mary and Martha when it was dealing with their brother Lazarus. But there was also just a time for him to be with them and to weep with them. Romans 12:15 says be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep be present with the people in their pain. The second thing we see is that God has given us comfort through his holy spirit so we can in turn comfort others. The 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says this brilliantly. It says all praise to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. See, God is using our pain. He's using the suffering. He's using the things that we're going to so that we can actually really bless other people that are going through the exact same thing. This suffering is a universal problem, and we have hope. We have something that we can give to somebody that is in despair, and it's the comfort that we receive from God. And then the last thing, at the right time, we need to share the hope that we have. 
1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, and we used this uh, in our first week when we were talking about get sharing about the hope that we have, says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If anyone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But Peter gives us instructions here. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. When someone is suffering, when you want to give them hope, give it in a gentle and respectful way. Do it in a way that's, that elevates love to that person. So where are you this morning? Do you guys want to come up? And we'll start the question and answer. But where does this land for you guys? Maybe you've had some awful things that it's happened to you and you're just wrestling with God. And I just want to say that's okay. That's perfectly fine. We weren't built for this. We weren't built to experience this type of pain. And it is hard and it's confusing and it's an emotional roller coaster. And so we want you to know that we are here to walk with you in that. And I don't know your story, but maybe you've started doubting God or you've abandoned your faith as a child because of these circumstances. And, and maybe you were following a God that never really existed in the first place. Maybe somebody told you about a God that wouldn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And we just don't see that when we look at the character and nature of God. Whatever's going on in your present circumstance, one thing that we can all agree as a teaching team, is that we want to be there with you in your suffering. So be gentle. No, you, just throw the book at us. It's totally fine. Yeah. We, uh, we, we planned this. Um, so we're going to sit next to each other. We'll be Sam and brothers. so sweet. Father-in-law and son-in-law. Yeah, it's discipleship. That's what it is. Um, it's I, will, I will say this, too. Is there, <laughs> there's no wrong question. There's no uneducated question. There's no uh, bad question. All we ask is that the questions would stay based on this subject. Uh, please don't ask why Adam and Eve were in the garden. Uh, you know, so uh, if we can just stay focused on this, uh, be thinking. Um, you know, we planted many questions to challenge these. No, I'm kidding. Um, so uh, anybody, Brian, just speaking to the mic here. How it works? Yep. Oh, great, thanks. So um, one of the things, one of the topics that comes up a lot with suffering and God being sovereign is how does free will play into the scope then of, of suffering and evil in the world and what part do we play? Next. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay. Well, Adam and Eve was in the garden. <laughs> Put them there. <laughs> you know, that, that's a question I've, I've thought a lot about for the last spiritual journey as an adult. And I think the most marvelous, majestic truths about Father God is that in creation, he created mankind, you and I, with a free will. And how vulnerable that made Father God to know that he created, and in his creation, someone could rebel against him. But see, the reason he had to give us free will was because love is not love unless it's free. So he had to give us the option and the choice to not love. And so the consequences, I believe, of that free will over time uh, has tremendous ramifications, uh, not just in our physical life, but in the spiritual realm as well. Uh, the drunk driver, uh, the person who had too much to drink, intoxicated, goes across the yellow line, as you talked about possibly, and we have a head-on collision that's a real-life experience with a friend that happened to me. Um, deeply spiritual man in a motorcycle gets hit, dies immediately. Real stuff. The abusive father's child, real stuff. The um, not taking care of my health, so I have heart disease, real stuff. So there are implications of the free will to where God has chosen to allow us to make some decisions on our own. Uh, I'm sorry, but if you want to go get in debt, uh, you know, $200,000, and then be burdened because you're not making enough money, that was your choice. Now, as Daniel said, even though you made that choice, Abba 
is going to be with us in the mix of that. And he's going to be, a, when we turn to him, he's going to be a way out for us. And he's wow. going to show us his, his promises. He's going to show us how to obey him. He's going to show us how to, to move through our pain so that we can connect in a deeper way. But yeah, free will is, is very much a, a very real part of, of our life. Choices we make and choices that people make around us that impact us. And so, gentlemen, you want to add to wow. that? Wow. I, I think if I think if you think of that, doesn't it create a greater response to our Holy Father that is so merciful that even when we take ourselves to the valley, which maybe might not be his plan for us, he's always with us. So your stupid mistakes, God's still with you. Like, how cool is that? Next. Daniel, go ahead, bud. I'll just hold it for you. What is a scripture on the promise for God's healing? Uh, scripture, scriptures of promise for God's healing. So I think kind of where we can go with that is, you know, their sickness. So why are good people, why are Christians sick? And what are God's promises uh, for that healing? Go. Do you want to take it? I can take it either way. Or do you want to take it? Oh, there you go. Um, you see throughout the Bible um, God's desire to bring things back to the perfection and the completion that he created. Um, and that's why you see so much of Jesus in the Gospels healing people. Um, and so it's hard for us to understand sometimes in our human perspective that's based in this world, but God has promised healing to every single person. And sometimes that healing doesn't come until after death, and then you know they are back in the spiritual realm where God has created. Um, and so you see that God always has the power to heal. Um, and Dennis and I and, and Brian were talking earlier this week about how faith and expectancy fits into that healing. Um, but ultimately, God has the power to heal, and God will restore each person um, to that perfected state. Um, it's just not always in the time and the timeline that, that we want, and that's where it's hard. Yeah, and I, I, to, to, to go with that, because um, it's always a tough subject, um, but we see, just like Daniel was saying, God's heart is always to be with us, to always love us, draw us closer to him and even if it may be the valley of sickness he wants us to make us he wants to make us more like him and i heard this once from a teacher several years ago that i love uh is god does heal he's able to heal and he wants to heal it's how we're healed through the process sometimes we're healed completely from it god does that uh rli many people experienced physical healing in their bodies it happens it's a miracle it's awesome and it draws people to rejoice to god and draw closer to him then there's also those situations where like a, a lot of us god will heal us through it kind of like jordan's brother hunter he went through that valley he went through that dark place the family went through that hope i could share that i'm sorry um God wants to take us through it. That's why Andre Crouch wrote the hymn, Through It All. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. And sometimes, just sometimes, God then heals us to himself. The great healing of seeing what Joyce Perez just experienced. Seeing Jesus face to face in the fullness of all his majesty. Yeah, that's healing too. And so God, you're right, God wants to be glorified in every situation. Daniel, I hope we answered your question. Anyone else? This is good. The true evil people in the world, I'm talking, you know, the Hitlers, Kim Jong-un, ISIS, Barack Obama. I'm kidding, Democrats, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm wondering why they are allowed to exist. I, I mean, we all have evil in us, and I get that, but I'm saying the true evil, evil people. Thanks, Ryan. We're not doing question and answer anymore. Uh, <laughs> live stream, he was kidding. Uh, I think, uh, good question. Yeah, I, 
one of the things that I think about is how do we measure evil? Um, you know, what's the scale? You know, is if God was to get rid of evil, you know, where does he stop and where does he start? Uh, does he only go for the egregious evil actions, uh, like the awful things that we see, genocide, rape, murder, different things like that? Or does he judge evil on the heart level, in the mind? You know, because Jesus said that if we, uh, if we harbor anger in our hearts, then we're actually committing murder. If we, harbor, if we look at someone lustfully, we're committing that act. And so I think even if you eradicate some of evil, and yes, there's different times where God is judging people because of their evil, if you eradicate some of that, that won't be the solution. Because we even saw that the flood was that same problem. You had an awful evil in the world, and God said, I'm going to get rid of all this evil, but I'm going to spare the righteous people. And that's the product of the, of the world that we live in right now. It's, it's that those eight righteous people made the awful, evil things that we see today. And so even just leaving a remnant won't really do anything because on the thought level, that evil will eventually express itself and become worse and worse mm. if it's left unchecked. Daniel, you actually said last week in our discussion of the ugly passages that we look at God's, we, we, we see the ugly thing going on, but then we look at how God was patient and slow to anger. For 600 years, he allowed this to go yeah. on. Yeah. And so it's not just like this just happened, and then God decided to just bring punishment and destruction. 600 years is a long time to put up with sin. Does it, Dennis, go ahead. It's not on. You enjoying this question and answer? Okay, good. Hold on. Sorry. There you go. Yeah, I just want to respond to... Um, Barack Obama thing, our government officials everywhere have let us down, Republican and Democrat. Mm -hmm. And you just need to understand that we have selected by will to kill, murder 4,000 babies a day. That's on everybody in this country. And so when we talk about free will, that's why we go and we vote and we select and we pray. But we have to pray for our government officials they have the wisdom of God. We need to pray now for Donald Trump that he has the wisdom of God. Mm -hmm. We need to pray for Barack Obama and Donald Trump to connect with each other as sovereign leaders in our country that they have the wisdom of God. Mm -hmm. See, this is where we have to detach ourselves from politics mm -hmm. and center ourselves on the word of God. You mean God's not a Republican God? No, he's not. Mm. Wow, no, imagine not. that. No, he's not. And sorry, see, our, 20 people our, just left. I'm sorry. Yeah, and what we had to do is we had to pray because free will is a part in governments. Governments create genocide. Governments create war. Governments do incredible things because of free will. And that's why we're called as ambassadors of Christ to pray. I mean, to pray like we've never prayed. And I want to say this about healing. One of the things about healing is that we cannot stop praying for healing. See, we don't take a passive stance. Mm -hmm. Every single day when I deal with sickness, we learn in RLI to have self-healing, to pray for yourself. We need to press into God. And when we're around those who are sick, to say, can I lay my hands on you and pray for you? Now, the problem comes is when we want something to happen right now, that's called a miracle. Okay? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But we, we're not called to be passive about healing. We're called to press in and press in and to press in. We're wow. called to... to to center our life around Christ, center our life around his word, and be a lighthouse every single place we go that the Holy Spirit can shine through us to bring his life to that circumstance. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, it, you know, to go with that, I, one of the teachings from RLI was uh, healing is a process. Mm -hmm. It's a process. A miracle is spontaneous right away. But healing is a process. Uh, just got a quick text. Um, we, we have time for maybe one or two more. Here's a, here's a text. Um, how do we tell the difference between spiritual attacks from the enemy and our own poor choices that result in suffering? Dennis, uh, we've talked about this many times. Do you mind starting us off? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I was... 50 pounds heavier than I am today and I was suffering incredible uh, physical uh, ailment because of that and you know what that was on me mm -hmm. I love Mountain Dew 
<laughs> I was drinking close to 12, between 1,200 and 1,500 calories in Mountain Dew, but I wanted God to heal me, and he said, give up Mountain Dew. And I just didn't want to do that, you know? But I did, by his, by his power and his grace. And so those are implications of that choice that I made. Took me up to 260 pounds, and the implications was I was suffering physically because of my single choice, all right? And so there, there are things in the free will to where I make choices that, that, that I am going to suffer consequences for that, but God's going to meet me in the midst of, of that. Does, does that help? That helps for choices. Would, would Daniel or Jacob have anything to say as far as how do you identify spiritual attack? Um, I think a good, you know, a good question is I grew up with everyone, something goes wrong and everyone says, well, it's the devil. Yeah. It's the devil. I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. Uh, we do know we have an enemy and he's seeking of who he can steal, kill and destroy and devour. So it's true. But how do we, how do we know if this is my choices or if this is the enemy really trying to tear me down? Mm. I think that's, um, that's a case by case discerning basis for sure. Uh, you can't. I can't just make a blanket statement of where it is and where it isn't because I agree with Dennis about the choices, but also I believe that as we make choices, it makes allowance and it makes opportunities for us to experience more and more spiritual warfare. We put ourselves in those situations. We have an enemy that wants to take advantage of us. If you think about it in a natural world, when is a predator going to try to get to its prey? When it's isolated and when it's alone and when it's when it's sick, when it's weak. The predator is going to take advantage of it because it can't defend itself. It can't run away. It doesn't, it's, it's so the, that's the best opportunity for the predator to pounce. So I think that there is some, some free will that's, that's going to be associated in a lot of those. It's going to be a mixture. But as far as spiritual warfare goes, um, a lot of it is going to happen in our minds. We're going to have a battle going on in our minds for truth. Yeah. And the best way to equip ourselves for spiritual warfare is to recognize the difference between yeah. a truth and a lie. And yeah. all a lie needs to be is 99% true and 1% wrong, and it's still a yeah. lie. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, you know, we have the weapons of warfare spiritually to tear down strongholds, but it's all about the mind. It's all about taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And so Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, when I pray, I pray with understanding. Mm -hmm. And so if, you, if you're struggling and you're not sure if it's just your decisions getting you there, remember God's always with you no matter what, mm -hmm. um, call on your 222 group. Call uh, your pastors. Call someone uh, that you're close with and have them pray with you and discern what that is mm -hmm. and start speaking truth to your situation. Uh, we got one more, uh, Real quick, two Phil. more questions. Real quick, Phil. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is you have to keep in mind Satan's prerogative um, that, you know, if you're just following, if I'm following after my own ambitions and I'm living in sin, Satan, Satan isn't going to try and keep me from doing that. Mm. If I'm seeking after something besides God and seeking something besides his kingdom, Satan is totally fine with that. And he's not going to try to keep me from that. Mm -hmm. So if I'm living in sin and there are consequences and suffering in my life, it's probably pretty clear that that is just because of my own actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's when you see those attacks, when you're seeking after God and you're pursuing his kingdom and then suffering is coming in and there's no voice of love or anything in that suffering, mm -hmm. then it's more of a chance and you can look and see, okay, this is really Satan's spiritual attacks against me. That's good, Jacob. Debbie Downer, but I'm going back to the healing situation, um, and I don't have the scripture, but um, didn't Paul ask, like, at, I know it was, I think I said three times to, to have the um, thorn taken out of his side, and as far as I know, it wasn't? Yeah, that's a, well, sorry, that's a really good question, if I can start that out. Um, dip, right, right. Yeah. Right. The question is, is if if there if it's really true that a faith the size of a mustard seed can move the mountains, why did God not remove the thorn in Paul's side when he asked and asked and asked? Uh, number one is there's so much debate debate through uh, theologians of what it was. A lot of people speculate that it wasn't actually sickness, that it was actually persecution. 
um, the strong persecution to where you know Paul was beaten and persecuted uh, to the point of death. And so uh, at that point, if you go to that, uh, that theology and that scripture and that kind of uh, understanding, God is saying, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So just like those three examples, we may be healed through it, from it, or to him. His grace is still sufficient. And that's why Paul's even saying, well, why, why, why? And finally, God says, you know what? Yeah, God is going to give his grace. Dennis, did you have something? Excuse me. It was very interesting. Of course, what happened to Paul was because the Holy Spirit took him to the third heaven where he had revelation that man, uh, he could not explain. So we know that he had experience. And the scripture says in first, second, second Corinthians chapter 12 that he could become very conceited and egotistical about that. And so I don't have my glasses on, so I had to keep this far from me. But Daniel, you want to hold that for me, son? You know? I can read it. Um, <coughs> I'll read right about there, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> about that, that uh, about you wanna, uh, three, three times. Three times. So ver- it's Second Corinthians uh, 12, verses 8. It says, three different times I begged for the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So I am glad to boast about my weakness so that in the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults, hardships and persecutions and yeah. trouble. And that I suffer for Christ for when I am weak. Then I am strong. But the verse before, I'm sorry, he started one. The verse before that, he said a thorn in the flesh was given. He called it a messenger of Satan. And this is what's very interesting. Paul was actually given a demon to haunt him and to pursue him, to keep him humble because of the revelation he received. I have no clue what all that means, but that's what the scripture teaches. Yeah. So, Pastor, explain that for us. No, um, next week. Next week. Come back next week. Actually, next next week's question is is just goes right along with this of how do you know that you are truly a Christian? So, don't miss that. Um, one last question, and then we got to respond in worship. This is great. Yeah. All right. I have a question about uh, God's foreknowledge and His decisions. First off, if God knew that would have two male pastors on stage wearing a salmon shirt. Why did he allow that? But this, this, the, the second part the of the question... The free will, right? <laughs> the second part of the question is if... Uh, this one's the harder one. Uh, if God foreknew that most would reject him and that billions would suffer both on earth and after life in hell, then why would he create life? We'll see you next week. <laughs> I mean, once again, he created life because of love. The father wanted a creation that he could love and that that creation would love him back. In doing that, he gave free will so that love could be free because love that's not free is in love. And the implications of that free will, hence comes the genocide, the Hitlers, the the, the Lenins, the Stalins, the, 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 the regimes that murder and slaughter innocents. Those are the things that come because of that free will. And so we can, go, we can talk on and on and on about that. But at the essence, at the core of creation, is the Father created us because he wanted to pour out his love towards us, and he wanted to, us to respond with love back towards him. And in that free will creates a lot of havoc. I think out of that love, too, it's hard personally for me to understand sometimes just because... I have such a finite and limited view. Um, But when God was creating everything, if he truly did know everything terrible that would happen, um, I just have to imagine that even one person to God who would say, you know, I want to have that relationship with you again, and I trust in Jesus. And that salvation, even for one person, was enough for that heartache Mm -hmm. of God, Mm -hmm. that God is so zealous after every single person that he created you to give you that opportunity to truly know him. Um, and so it's, it's himself that was worth creating humanity. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of wrap everything up here, this is, a tough, this is a tough subject. We don't even imagine that we have all the answers, even for your questions that you just gave us right now. Uh, and so we want to walk with you in this. We want to walk with you in 
your present situations and in the tough questions that, you, that you're tackling right now because it is hard. It's hard to comprehend all of this. And it's hard to look at the world and see God's love and God's justice when you see so much evil. But then where does free will come in? You know, and then where does God come in when it, with the plan of love and reconciliation to restore people to himself? Uh, and so I think that why I said at the very beginning of the message is that I wanted to start a conversation. And I, and I want us to continue this conversation. This is not a conversation that ends with us coming off the stage. This is a conversation that continues uh, through our church. And as you have more and more questions, we, we did this whole You Ask series because we wanted to hear from you from the start. And so we love this. We love the opportunity to do this. And we want us to wrestle with this and wrestle with uh, God and understanding his majesty. But we also know that we can't get there. We're not going to get there. So we just walk with it together. And we pray that through God's wisdom, he generously gives when we ask. Um, So I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're just going to worship. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you're good to us, that if you're all-powerful and almighty, that you don't just sit back and watch us in pain and suffering, but that you came to absorb all of our pain and suffering. Oh, death, where is your sting? You have been swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus. And so I pray that even as we uh, have this song, that we will just speak over our situation. Even when it's too hard, we'll speak over it. Thank you, Lord, that you walk with us. Would you stand, please? The Bible tells us we have the power to speak life or death over ourselves and over others. We can speak blessings or curses. And so this morning, we are going to declare into our lives, because of God, because of the hope of Jesus Christ, by the power of His Spirit, that no matter what circumstance you find yourself in today, you can say, it is well with my soul.